0: Welcome to episode 34 of the Forward From 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward From 50 and your host for this week's show. Today I'll be speaking with a former police officer who truly loved his job, but after a tragic incident, his entire life changed. In 2016, Chris Hoyer was caught in an ambush during which a fellow police officer was killed in the gunfight. That was the day Chris mentally checked out of law enforcement and simply started going through the motions for two years until he retired. His marriage also came to an end and Chris relocated to San Diego in hopes of rebuilding his life. He also started writing a book about his experiences as a police officer. But through the process of sharing his memories, he discovered a renewed purpose for his life. His book became a training manual to help police officers and other people who must face, endure, and overcome unfortunate life experiences. To tell us more about his story and how he turned his pain into purpose, please welcome former police officer Chris Hoyer to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. I really appreciate the time. Now, you had a storied career in law enforcement that spanned several decades. What prompted you to get into that career field?
1: It was one of those things where I just thought it would be fun. I thought it'd be great to drive as fast as I want, chase bad guys, and, and get paid to do it. In fact, when the brass asked me that very question, that's how I answered. And they were going, yeah, no, that's not really what we want to hear. Give us something more productive. Just,
0: okay. What kind of law enforcement did you do? Where Did you specialize in anything?
1: Yeah, I did. I was, you know, like everybody else, I started off in patrol. And did that for about four years, four and a half years. And then I went to a, a proactive specialty squad called the Neighborhood Enforcement Team. And I had such a good time, I, I spent the next 16 years there on that squad, never left. It was a half undercover, half patrol, half catch-all squad, so it was fantastic. So,
0: What kinds of things did you do? I've never heard of that kind of squad.
1: We were pretty much responsible for anything that's going on in, in the neighborhood, just like it sounds. Any drug complaints, any prostitution complaints, we were all over that. Any kind of complaint that came from the citizens, our our community action officers would normally take the call, and then they'd call us and go do the enforcement side of it. Okay. Which was great. Plus, we got we had access to more training and more fun, if you will, less radio calls for us. And we were city-wide, so we could go anywhere. Most people are bound to one area. Well, we weren't. Okay, very
0: good. And you did this for 20 years, but then something happened that caused you, your life to go in a completely different direction. What was that?
1: The, the short version of basically in uh, 2016, I got into what ended up being my first gunfight, but my force officer involved shooting. This one was really unfortunate because it cost the life of an officer. It was an ambush, and it was pretty much the day that I checked out of law enforcement. And I still had two years to go before I retired. When I retired, two years later was when I figured out that's when I had checked out. So it was pretty catastrophic.
0: Okay, so one of your fellow officers was it your partner?
1: No, it was it was another uh, guy on a sister squad, Dave Glasser. We joked that they were the JVs because our my squad was a senior squad and. His squad was journeyed to us, so they worked the worst hours and the worst days and we had the luxury of working days and weekends off and these kinds of things. And we were on the same unit, just different squads.
0: What did you like most about being in law enforcement?
1: It was it was it truly was. When I made that first comment about having fun, it was I had a ball. It was I showed up to working jeans and a t-shirt, drove around an undercover car and I'm getting paid for this. I couldn't believe it. I was going, this is unbelievable. Literally playing cowboys and Indians in the wild west. So it was super neat.
0: And one of the most rewarding aspects of that job was what?
1: The the fulfillment and purpose. And everybody says the same answer that I was there to help people, which was, was definitely true, but there were several times when I actually, when I was called out by citizens going, hey, you really changed the trajectory of my life or you saved me or whatever else. And those kinds of stories are the ones that you actually truly do the job for. So...
0: Those are the best. And so how old were you when you retired?
1: I was forty-nine, is that right? I think young
0: and in our, in our yeah, sphere. I yeah, super. After turning fifty, what sort of invigorated you to move into a different direction or what gave your life purpose?
1: Well, it was uh, I knew I'd always planned on moving to San Diego. So I did all my time in Arizona. I think I should. and I wasn't born or raised there, but I, I came from the East Coast. Moved to Arizona in 91, did all my time with my agency out there, and I always had aspirations to move to San Diego. And so after my retirement, and unfortunately my divorce, was time to pick up and, and go to the coast. So that's exactly what I did. And that was the, definitely the biggest push to uh, to reignite myself, if you will. Sure.
0: And then you wrote a book about your experiences on the police force.
1: I did, yeah. I so was never supposed to be anything more than just me getting it out on paper. and. God had everything lined up. I met my now girlfriend. She happened to be a book editor. And when she read the first chapter, she says, we're going to make this a real book. So we did, sure enough. I say we like I had anything to do with it. She did all the hard work. (laughs) And what's the book called? I call it When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight.
0: Okay. What's the central theme? What's it all about?
1: It was, like I said, it it started in 2017. I woke up one morning, about two o'clock in the morning, and just started realizing that as, as much as I thought I was taking care of myself mentally and emotionally, I really wasn't doing enough. And the beginning of the book was the healing for me. That was the motivation. But it was born out of the story with Dave Glass or the ambush. And that was where it all started to fall apart mentally for me.
0: I could imagine that it would be a difficult thing to live through. And how long is your book?
1: It is 387 pages, I think, something like that. Um, but I've had people that have told me the. And I joke about it that I can never write a police report, but I could write a book. And friends of mine that know me well are saying that basically it's like I'm reading it to them, which is a huge compliment, of course. So, Are
0: these uh, stories of things that you encountered while you were on duty?
1: Lots and lots of stories, but it's also a like almost a professional guide, if you will. For any of your folks that are listening and know who Dave Grossman is, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army uh, Ranger, bestselling author, White House advisor. He's got a list of accolades. He says basically it's the best law enforcement prep book he's ever read, which I'm going, well, I don't know about all that, but okay. Okay. Yeah, For me, for a kid like me, that was a
0: huge
1: mm-hmm. accolade because Dave's one of my biggest heroes from basically what he does for his community.
0: So basically the story is about, it starts off with your experience in that unfortunate gunfight, but then it also training other police officers and people working in law enforcement on tactics and things that they can do to protect themselves?
1: Absolutely. And it's not limited to the law enforcement community because it is, it's like a life guide, if you will, where you, you talk about, and when I made the title, when I came up with that title, it was because someday something's going to happen, you're going to need to face it, whatever it is. Be it a divorce, like my daughter, she's got lupus now. That's obviously a huge fight. And, and whatever it is, and I didn't plan it to be this way, just so it just so happened with my experiences that going through the stuff that I went through, I make it, as it turned out, again, not by plan, make it very relatable to just everybody in the world.
0: So it's a multifaceted. It's not just a book about law enforcement, but for anybody who might be undergoing some very serious trials and tribulation.
1: Not only that, and I I didn't, again, didn't plan this way, but it's great to talk about stuff that we know is going wrong. And that was where I struggled a lot during my career on on the force was, I I know what the problem is. How do I fix it? And that's where I went in a whole different direction of, look, these are all those things that I experienced that, that knocked me on my rear end, but this is how I regained my composure and how I healed. So it's more than just, we can identify the problem now, let's take the steps to, to get better. And it's not that hard to do, really isn't.
0: There's a big difference between writing a book and writing a police report. Did that require any additional training on your part to get into that?
1: <laughs> no, as it turned out, just by the luck of the draw, by, by God's hand, I ended up writing the stories just from the heart. And because I did it that way, it was very non-structured, which God bless my girlfriend for coming in. She came in and she saw it. And the way police write reports typically is everything in capital letters and very little punctuation. And she had no idea what to do with that. She's what is this? And I basically was like, this is how we write reports. But clearly when I wrote it, it was more on the side of, I'm, I'm just telling a story just like I remember it.
0: My goodness, I want to send her a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine what that would be like. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and she's a self-proclaimed grandma Nazi, so she's always correcting. Even on, like, billboards and stuff, it's hilarious. She's like, there needs to be a dash, there needs to be a comma, they need to take that out. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I understand.
0: Did that uh, require you to develop any new skills? Did you have to go in for public speaking training and things like that as well?
1: No, luckily for me, I just being in my community, of course, being in the law enforcement community, It was a very easy transition because you're forced to be in the public eye. That's just how it is. You're in a uniform all day, every day. It doesn't take very much training to be comfortable around people. And a very close friend of mine says it best, which I I don't disagree with, but he gives me more accolades than I think I really deserve. But he says, basically, I've got a story that a lot of other folks have very true. Mine is unique on several levels. He goes, but the guys that have that story aren't willing to tell it and the guys that are willing to tell it usually aren't willing to tell it in front of a crowd of people. And for me to get up in front of a a crowd of 600 people and and be as vulnerable as I can, it's pretty special according to a lot of people that I know of. For me, I just think I'm just, my obligation is to go out there and try to save at least one person that can hear my message and go, okay, yeah, this this is something important.
0: Excellent. Uh, Speaking from the heart, that is just so important. And I'm glad to hear that your book does that. For sure, they'd find out that somebody else believes what they did or is experiencing what they did through their story. So I applaud you for doing that.
1: You could not be more correct. And Natalie, my girlfriend, says it to every single person that we ever meet that you have a story that needs to be told. Whether it ends up being a book that goes to print or it's just something that you have for yourself. But once you write that thing, that's forever. That's something for your kids, for your grandkids, for your friends, your family, everybody else in the world that may or may not know the stuff that you went through it's, it's hugely important to write that stuff down mm-hmm. So,
0: do you have any children
1: i've got two yeah my uh, my oldest is 31 my youngest is 22 oh my goodness yeah i had a pretty good split there yeah. and a seven-year-old granddaughter which i can't believe because i'm actually really only 22 by the way uh,
0: so now are you speaking at conferences
1: yeah we speak uh, my girlfriend's got her own organization where she speaks in fact we're in the valley back in arizona last week and The stuff I do is mostly on the law enforcement side of the world, of course, Um, but I do speak to mental health people like Cigna and these kinds of things. And I say it in a joking way that anybody who's willing to listen to what I have to say, I'll speak pretty much.
0: (laughs) How has this decision to start speaking about your experiences really impacted your life?
1: it's made all the difference in the world. When I was in the academy, we had a guy come in, and I was talking about a critical incident that he survived. And I remember that had such an impact on my mental preparation, if you will, for my career. And I thought how important that was for me to hear that story. And that was the motivation. When I was going through all my stuff with Dave, survivor's guilt and the, and the post-traumatic stress and the triggers and all that kind of stuff, it, it dawned on me that I'm far from the only guy or girl going through this. I need to share my stories so other folks can realize that, hey, you're not the only one and here are ways to fix yourself. So,
0: did going through the process of writing the book cause any challenges?
1: It was mostly healing more than anything else in the whole world. It really was because, as it turned out, I've got a notepad next to the computer and I'm writing a story, and I'm like, oh man, I can't remember, I can't forget to put that in the book. So, all that stuff that I had bottled up, and then the law enforcement community is very much hey I'm good, they we're pounding our chest. I can't be the victim when I gotta go out to save the world and writing the book actually released all that stuff I had bottled up at the time for but nineteen years on, so
0: that's a good point. Would you recommend to police officers that they find that kind of outlet rather than bottling it up and thinking that oh, they're invisible invincible?
1: I think that's probably one of the biggest pushes that I do for folks now, is look, you got to take care of yourself. And I joke about it. And I was that guy, I was your atypical poster child, for so law enforcement community where, you know, and I say it this way that, and people can relate to it when you're driving through the McDonald's drive-through with your kids, whatever else, and she asks you, does that complete your order? And you answer with yes, 10-4, that's a problem. It's funny, but people can be like, oh yeah, I, I completely understand that. You're way too absorbed in this career. You need to take a step back from time to time, so.
0: Exactly. And I we all know that police officers have a higher divorce rate than most other professions because of the things they see in their day-to-day job. And then they have to bring it home. And when they want to unload and unwind, it's who do you talk to that would truly understand? And so that's an important thing, I think, for police officers, because I used to, as I explained, did it 40 years ago for a little while, but decided it wasn't a career for me. But I could see that would have been a big problem for me eventually.
1: It's it's a huge problem. And it's not just one or two events. It's cumulative, of course, as you can imagine. And over time, unfortunately, my my generation of folks we were told don't share your stories with your spouse or whatever else because they don't need to hear what's going on. Of course, they do because I walk in the door and she knows what kind of day I had just from the look on my face. <laughs> and if I'm not sharing it with her, who am I sharing it with? And the accusations happen because. She's assuming that I knew you before you were a cop and you shared all your stuff before. Why aren't you now? What yeah. happened will change, you know, so.
0: That's a good point. And a lot of times the police officers are not wanting to share to protect their family members and their friends because you guys see a lot of uh, really gross and nasty and disheartening things out there. The movie, The Sound of Freedom, I don't know if you've seen that yet and how his response to seeing some of those things in child trafficking and in crying and things like that. It's got to, and you're human. Police officers are human first and foremost, and it's got to take a toll on them as well. So do you try and help people like the police officer did with you in the academy to prepare them for a life like that?
1: That's that's pretty much my goal in life these days. Yeah, and you're 100% correct because they think that my community thinks that we're protecting our loved ones by not sharing those stories. Well, you're doing the exact opposite. Not only are you not protecting them, You're ignoring them and you're keeping them out of the limelight where they need to be because they are going to be the ones where you've got what I refer to as your 40-hour family on duty, but you got your regular family at home that needs to know, you know, how they can help you so you can help them. And it doesn't get that complicated, really. I mean, my theory is if you want to be okay, you can be okay. You just got to take that first step and, and admit that you want help. So,
0: Now, you had talked about speaking at conferences. Do you speak like going from department to talk to the officers there?
1: I do. Yeah. I do a lot of that. Um, I've been all over the United States pretty much. So this flag behind me is one of my four that has traveled with me everywhere I go. I have law enforcement officers and veterans and, and people that are special to me to sign it for me just as a, a memorandum, if you will, to keep everybody in, you know on the same page that we're all in this together. Whether you're a cop, whether you're a veteran, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a mother of three kids. Whatever else, we're all fighting the same battle together and we need to take care of each other. So,
0: I just noticed that there's are signatures on your flag. That is pretty cool. <laughs> is that one of the rewards that you've gotten from pursuing this passion?
1: I, I say it in a joking way that it's basically just my selfish way of, of taking care of myself. It's my own personal thing. Like I said, I've got four of them that are almost completely filled up, but this one just happens to be my very first one that I ever did. I took it to Virginia for the first time and just laid it out on a table with the books and had a bunch of markers and just had people, whatever, I said, make your mark, whether you sign your name, I love you, I hate you, put your serial number, your agency, whatever, write a little message, something that I can look back and go, man. And when I do a lot of the public speaking stuff, I have one particular photo that I show where it's almost a half a million people for police week in Washington, D.C. And that's, for me, that's a reminder that there's a, a whole bunch of people that want us out there that really, truly love us, so...
0: I think that's a great idea and a way to promote not only your book and what you're doing to give the police officers and first responders an outlet to to know that I understand, I see you, I'm in the same situation, and let me sign on to what you're preaching, and that's to be prepared for the fight.
1: I was, again, I was that same guy that, I'm fine, don't worry about me, and that's what I see with my community a lot of times, because guys are like, oh, no, no, I'm good. Okay, at some point in time, you're going to realize you're not okay. And that's fine. That is absolutely It's expected. And just when you get to that point, and I love it when two or three years down the road, guys, are they're calling me reluctantly going, man, you know what? I hated you when you were telling that speech, but I'm so glad that you did because now I get it, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. That's right. Uh, experience is an interesting teacher. That's for sure. Do you have any regrets about the direction of your career or what you've been doing after you retired? In other words, you had to start over what you do anything differently or going a different direction?
1: I don't think I would have changed a whole lot. Uh, Maybe financially, I would have been a little more secure, but I never got into it for the money, clearly. I I say that I did on a joking level because what else can you do, right? Because, and I'll say it this way and not to offend anybody, but who's stupid enough to go out and get paid to get shot at, right? The cops are, and that comes with the territory. It just does. As far as regrets go, there are things that I'm very upset that happened. Like I, my my time on, we buried 17 folks in a line of duty, including my best friend's dog on my 20th anniversary. So if I could go back and change that, I definitely would. But beyond that, I pretty much leave it in the hands of God because there's things that there's no way I was ever going to change.
0: Do you have any advice for people over 50 about how to identify or pursue their passions?
1: I say it's, it should be purpose-driven, whatever it is. If you want to follow the, the path of being a public speaker, it's great. It's very fulfilling just very purpose-driven for me because I know that I'm out there making a difference. Whether you, like in my case, I started training again because I'm actually going back into the law enforcement community. And so now for me, getting back in shape has given me a new purpose as well. And it was really hard going because I've been retired for five years and now going back into it and trying to lose all that, that San Diego great food and beach weather body weight is like, oh man, now I got to go back to being back in shape and running every day and this kind of stuff. It's very hard. Whatever it is, you find your motivation that want that gives you that purpose and that drive. And maybe if, if it's something related to healing, do that too, whatever it is. So.
0: How would you define retirement?
1: I say this to every guy because I always ask every class and I teach for the law enforcement world who's supposed to retirement. And I tell them all the exact same thing. First of all, it's the best thing I ever did. For my mental health my emotional health for my physical health everything that came along with retirement for me was a huge gigantic weight lifted right off my chest and off my shoulders the problem with the comp world is that we don't ever retire my girlfriend says it all the time that i, I really never took off the uniform because you get it in your blood and i see more stuff than i really wish i did you know what i mean and as the truth matter is, with the law enforcement community in particular, we're so busy body that we don't really ever slow down. We always have to be doing something. So for my community, there is really no such thing as retirement.
0: <laughs> is there anything on your bucket list yet that you'd still like to accomplish?
1: Oh, there were a few things. And now with Natalie, my girlfriend, it was a lot of I wanted to go back to where I grew up in New Hampshire and go speak. And I did that and go to some of these and I, I love to travel abroad, of course, to some of these really great places like Australia and Italy and stuff like that. But some of the places that I've invited to go speak, I was up in San Francisco. We got a chance to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. Those are the bucket list items that, man, I had forgotten how great the United States is, America in general, and how we need to go out and see everything that there is, this, this country has to offer.
0: There are a lot of things in this country for people to see, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: If people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that?
1: Email is probably the best way, which, and you can put this in the comments or however else, so I can just say it out loud. It's first and last name, Chris Hoyer, H O Y E R, Chris Hoyer46 at Gmail. Very good. Do you have
0: a website for your business yet?
1: I do. Yeah. It's up and running, but it's not, it's under construction still because neither one of us really knows how to build a website. And we mentioned it before on, on a comps. Retirement salary, it's, okay. it's hard to up with the money that I need to build it properly. But it is the second half of the, the book title. It's called Training for the Fight. So
0: Trainingforthefight.com?
1: Dot org. Actually. Dot org. No. Okay. Yeah. Super. Thank yeah. you
0: very much, Chris. I really appreciate you taking time to share your story. And I'm glad you put all of your experiences and things from your heart onto a book for other people to enjoy and to be uplifted and encouraged by the fact that you under, you went through that yourself. That gives them the power to endure it themselves.
1: I hope so, yeah. And those out there, people want to reach out to me, whether I'm a good advocate for you or I'm a good ear, punching bag, shoulder, all of the above. But I've also gotten a ton of resources. If you're not comfortable talking to me about whatever you have, which I, I welcome everybody on your show, please just yes, reach out to me anytime you want to. But I can also lead you in a direction that people that know. Will and are a lot smarter than I am that can help folks with whatever they're dealing with as well. And I highly encourage that. So,
0: Very good. Thank you again for your time. I certainly appreciate
1: it. Absolutely. no. Thank you. It's my honor.
0: As tragic as Chris Hoyer's story is, I'm glad he's taking time to share it with other people. Whether it is police officers, military members, or other first responders who routinely put their lives on the line, Chris said there will be a day when they are faced with a difficult situation. From a mental health standpoint, they have a much better chance of coming through that experience if they prepare now for when that day comes. So many people in those careers think they are all alone in contending with the stress of the jobs and the aftermath of decisions they had to make in a split second. After retiring months before his 50th birthday, Chris's new purpose involves helping people prepare for the unexpected and contending with the post-traumatic stress and survivor's guilt that often follows. Today, Chris believes he has an obligation to share his stories because he knows someone else will benefit from hearing them. By hearing about Chris's struggles, others will realize they are not alone in carrying their burdens. As a result, people can find healing and transformation. Chris is absolutely correct when he noted everyone has a story to tell, whether it goes into a book or not. But when you write it down, the message remains forever is something your friends, family, grandkids, and everyone else in the world can benefit from for years to come. By speaking to people around the country, Chris is offering encouragement today, but also practical advice that will help others in the future. He is playing a part in shoring up the thin blue line of brave people who protect everything precious about America. People can connect with Chris by emailing him at chrisheuer46 at gmail.com. His website is still under construction, but will be available at www.trainingforthefight.org. His book, When That Day Comes: Training for the Fight, is available on Amazon as an ebook and audiobook. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help in planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming sessions to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward From 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.